Hey everyone, welcome to the Grace Course Podcast, and this is part two of our Is God Really Good series. Now, that question, like we talked about last week, you know, it's an obvious, yes, he's good, yeah, 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 what are you talking about, Phil? But as we discussed last week, there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that is scary, that is questionable, that doesn't seem to line up God the Father with Jesus. They seem to be at odds at times. And so we looked at the Bible last week and we took a really honest look. It was a painful look, to be honest with you, at some of the stuff in there. And um, we didn't really go into any depth as to how we can read that stuff. And so this is where we begin this week. We're going to look at how the Jews went about reading their Bible and what that can teach us today as Christians. You know, that Judaism is our tradition. It is where we come from. Christianity comes from Judaism. And so um, in order to read their text, because we have to acknowledge that this Old Testament was their text before it was ours, in order to read it well and healthily, I think we should at least be aware of how they read it. And what we find is they read it very differently than we do. And that can give us some great insights into how to move forward with some of these texts. Um, And of course, next week, we'll look at how Jesus read the Bible and what that means for us as well. But without any further ado, let's dive into how the Jews read their Bible. There's a, there's a really great quote by a guy called Rob Bell, and many of you have a different view of Rob Bell. That's fine. You can believe what you want to believe about this guy. Um, I don't know him, so I'm not going to particularly pick any of these. But he had an interesting quote that really challenged me. And he says, when the Jews open scripture, they open it to start a conversation. When Christians open scripture, they open it to stop conversation. And that just slapped me in the face because it is so true. The Jews would open a scripture and go, let's talk about this. So they would open a scripture that was Jeremiah going, I'm not sure about some of the stuff in the Old Testament. I don't know if it's really how God is like. And they go, let's talk about that. And someone go, yeah, I wonder about that stuff. I wonder if God really wants like, just to kill loads of animals. Is that really what he wants? When, when, um, when uh, Solomon offers 140,000 animals as a burnt offering, does God really want us to kill that many animals? Is that what God's like? And other people be like, yeah, I think he is. He's a holy God. He demands something. He's bigger than us. And they would discuss these things. It's interesting. We as Christians do not open the Bible that way. Tend to, at least. We open up the Bible and we go, right, this is what the Bible says. But how many of you heard that statement? The Bible says, right? The Bible says is one of the most stupid statements in the world. Okay, right? The Bible says if you want to get engaged, you should offer your father-in-law 200 foreskins. Anyone do that when they got married? (laughs) <laughs> nice. I'm impressed. That's like the fox thing. I'm like, where do you even begin? Right? I mean, where do you begin on that one? The Bible says some really messed up stuff. Right? And you can't just go, the Bible says. You probably want to read a little bit more context. The Bible says, women, shut up. Let's read a bit more context, because I don't know if I agree with that. Right? And just to say, the Bible says, it's the most arrogant statement. It's the most um, ridiculous statement to say, I know what the Bible says, and you don't. We all read the Bible. I've got quite a a, a, a diverse following online, and one of my favorite things that happens is I'll say something online, like a thought, or I'll open up a discussion, and someone will just post a a Bible verse, like a verse, and you're just like, I don't know what they think. Like, what's going through their head? Are they thinking, I've never seen this Bible verse, and now I've read it, I'll change? Are they thinking, like, I, I just don't know. Like, what, what's going through their mind? Are they thinking, oh, this Bible verse contradicts the 12 Bible verses you quoted in yours? Like, I mean, what is this? Is it like, 
and it's Christian whack-a-mole, right? So and I can say, well, when I read that Bible verse, this is the context, and this is how I interpret it. And they go, bloop, there's another one. Oh, but this Bible verse. And it's like, okay, this is an endless game. And I can do it on my side. I can go, well, what about this verse and this verse? We just do it all day. Um, and so as Christians, we tend to open up the Bible and we go, rather than opening it up and going, what is God like? Let's look at what Ezekiel says, and let's look at what Jeremiah says, and then let's look at what David says, and let's look at how they differ. They've got different views and different opinions. Who do we think is right? And what do we think is wrong about each of these people's opinions? And that was how Jews approached the scripture. We approach the scripture, go open it and go, Bible says this, that's what we do, done. End of story. It's like, I don't know if we can do that as clear cut, or even we should do that. I think if we're gonna be honest to our tradition, because we should admit that Jesus was a Jew and we come from Judaism, maybe there's a challenge there that we should be reading our Bible like Jesus read his Bible like the Jews read their Bible. That's why Jesus often could quote the Bible completely out of context. Do you ever notice this? In fact, do you know that Jesus never quotes the Bible in context? Like, it's quite funny. Do you know that in the New Testament, the Bible is never quoted in context? It's always taken out of context. Every time it's used by a person who's writing an epistle, it's pulled out of context. Can you imagine that's how we did church? Like we just went, um, that one. All right, that's what you should do every now. From now on, you should do that verse. But it said, like, Jesus wept. Yeah, just go home and cry. That's what the Bible says. Like, you can't just pick a verse and make it mean what you want, unless you're most of the authors of the New Testament. That's exactly what they do. They pick a Bible verse and they use it out of context. And we'll talk about that this afternoon. But there was a, a tradition of using the scripture, engaging with it, going to the scripture, led by the spirit. They believed that, that, that God would lead them as they discussed scripture. And, and, and that's why we challenge you to do is, and, and that's why we can see throughout the, the tradition of scripture, they allowed each other to disagree, to have different views. They, they kicked Jeremiah out of Israel. They got really mad and went, how dare you say that, get out. But after a while, they let him back in. And after a bit longer, they put it in their scriptures. Because they were like, well, this is a dissenting voice, but you know what? This guy did some pretty crazy miracles. God was on his side, so we should listen to his opinion allow it to feed in. We're not getting rid of the passages that say God is giving us this law, but we're going to keep the, the guy that says, I don't think he did. That's fascinating. That is not how evangelical Christianity would put together the Bible. We would not allow any form of contradiction. And a lot of it is cultural, okay? So if you look at how the scripture is written, most of this was written long before um, our modern, Western, Greco-Roman approach to storytelling, to history, to any of these things. That's not how the ancient world wrote. You pick any book that was written 1,500 years before Jesus, 1,000 years before Jesus, there's stories, they're magical, there's talking animals, there's this going on, there's that going on. And then all of a sudden they change. When Greco-Roman thinking comes in, it's very facts, it's figures, who did what, when did they do it, why did they do it? That's why when you read like Luke in Acts, right? A doctor, right? With great Roman uh, Greco uh, influence. He's, he's going, Jesus did this and then he did that. The next week he did this. And then what's happening? Oh, and then when he left, well, Paul was doing this and Peter was doing that. And then we did this and we went from this place to this place and this happens. And it's all facts and figures and details and whatever. That's not how they particularly record much of the stuff in the Old Testament. They're not fixated on the facts and details. They're telling the story. And that's okay. That's okay to go, huh, interesting, Job. Job is a play. How many people knew that? <laughs> My intern, yes. Um, <laughs> Job is a play. 
It's, it's a dramatized play. Now stop and think about it. If you think back about how, play, uh, how Job reads, right? You've got Job, a terrible thing happens, and then a new character comes in and talks with Job, and then they leave, and Job's left pondering, and then another character comes in and talks to Job, and then they leave. You can see it acted on the stage when you actually think about it. Now would we read a play the same way as we read First Kings, which is a history book? which says, this is what people did. When this guy was king, the Israelites did this, and this nation did that. That's a different type of book to a play. And it's a different type of book, again, to when Solomon's going, mm, what's a profound thought? I've got to get something out from my Twitter. Mm. Answer a fool in his folly, and you'll become like him. That's good. Don't answer a fool in his folly. Yeah, right? I mean, like, but that is different to a history book, and it's different to a play. And so we have to understand that there's different types of literature discussing God, and many of it is, is, is very experiential. God is in a lot of these plays. God is, or God is in a lot of these books, right? I mean, if anything, he's in all of them, right? But it's not a story in Proverbs about how God showed up and what he did. It's a guy spouting his wisdom that comes from a guy who met God twice, Solomon encountered God, and he was the wisest man ever. I want him to write the wisdom book. So we need to engage with the scripture as to what it is and allow it to inform a discussion, to create discussion, because that's how Jerusalem, uh, the Jews, engage with their texts. So for us to engage with the text is a black and white answer book, you know, like a mass problem book. It just We flick to the end and just read the answers. That's actually not what it was ever meant to be. Now, in the New Testament, it's much more like that, because that's what we've become. We've become Greco-Romanized, we're Western, we're, we're a lot more facts and figures, and we're a lot more like, well, what is God like? Well, he's like this, and he's like that, and he's like this. And what does Christian living look like? Well, it looks like doing this, and doing that, and not doing this, and not doing that. Because there's a, there's a change in the culture. There's a big gap in between the two. And you can see this, actually, when you look at a lot of the Apocrypha and the books they've writ, wrote in between some of the gaps in the New Testament and the Old Testament, um, you can actually see that they changed the style of writing. It's quite drastically changed. Um, and so, yeah. Um, now, my point in that is that we have to understand that there's a discussion going on about God when Jesus shows up. They didn't have a black and white opinion on God. Jesus isn't talking to one group of people that have one view of God. There are the Pharisees, who are the supernatural. I know we don't like that because right, we're charismatic. So we don't really like that the Pharisees were the Charismatics, right? Because they get really ragged on a lot, right? But they were the Charismatics. They were the passionate Charismatics who didn't really get grace, right? Their Charismatic element came from works and adhering and being very legalistic, right? So they didn't have um, official training in one sense, but they dedicated their life to serving God. And to, they basically said, look, most of the world is too wishy-washy. They don't take this serious. We're going to take it serious. We're going to do all of these rules, and that's how we're going to heal the sick, and we're going to hear God's voice, and we're going to speak to people and set the nation free from Rome by becoming perfect and holy and righteous. And that was who they were. The Sadducees were like, these guys are insane. God doesn't heal today. God isn't a God of, with angels and demons. They didn't believe in angels and demons. The Pharisees did. Sadducees didn't. They didn't even believe in eternal life, the Sadducees. They were like, oh no, when you're dead, you're dead, that's it. That was their view. The Pharisees thought, oh no, there's an afterlife. And they even in the Pharisees, they had a few different opinions. Um, then there's other groups of people. There's groups, if you read um, 
The philosopher Philo is the most famous Jewish philosopher you can come across. I mean, really famous guy, lived about the time of Jesus. He, he was born quite a bit before and died a little after, benefit of not getting crucified. Um, and uh, he's an incredible wise Jew who engaged with some of the Greek philosophy and started to talk about, I think God isn't like what we th- many of us think. I think he's loving. I think he's kind. I feel like he's full of grace and mercy. And there was huge amounts of the Jews that followed Philo. And and lived in grace. They lived in love. They lived in mercy. They looked to forgive and not to judge and not to be full of anger. Very interesting. Even to say there's one view of the Messiah is false. They have many views of the Messiah. The one, one element that's common in them all is that he was going to kick some Roman ass. Like, that is common. Any view you had of the Messiah, it was different views. Or he might be the son of God, or he's going to be a prophet, or he's going to be like this, he's going to be like that. But they all knew this guy's going to kick some Roman butt because they're the ones that are oppressing us. And Messiah literally means savior, setting us free and establishing a a nation again. Um, But the point is, people thought differently and that was okay. And it's to a degree like us in Christianity today, right? Most of us can go, ah, the Methodists, we like them, they love Jesus, we disagree. Ah, the Baptists, again, love them, we disagree. Oh, the Catholics, that's a bit of a harder one, right? Because we're a little clique in Protestantism and they're over there. But no, for the most part, right? I think most of us in this room, hopefully we go, well, they love Jesus and they might think differently, but that's okay. And thank God that they're over there going, yeah, they love Jesus and they they think wrong, but that's okay, right? Because the truth is we're probably wrong about a bunch of stuff as well, right? So there's all these different views within Christianity and we learn to go, well, yeah, but what's the main thing? And that's how Israel operated largely. Now, there was the really intolerant group. There was the really tolerant group, right? So Philo's group were forgiving and merciful and gracious. The Pharisees were like, you're wrong and you suck and you're the reason that Israel's in all the problems, right? I mean, so there's different views and we have that in church, right? We still have the Westboro Baptists of the world, right? Um, we still have the, the group that goes, nope, God is not going to agree with you. To, he doesn't agree to disagree. I want to get you out. You're not part of this club. Um, whereas the other people go, Ah, uh, you're like my crazy uncle, but you're my uncle, right? Um, which is kind of how I see someone like the Vesper Baptist. I'm like, ah, oh, I'm really gutted that I'm related to you, but I kind of am. <laughs> anyway, um, the point being there was this vast difference in opinion and difference of reading the scripture and how to approach the scripture. When they picked up a scripture, they would go to the front of the synagogue because people didn't have Bibles. They didn't have like a Torah at home. Like that just wasn't a possibility. We're, we're about one and a half thousand years from the printing press, okay? So they're not writing down little Bibles for every single person to have. Um, that's really hard to come by. Um, so they would go to the synagogue and they'd pull out the scrolls and they would even, not all of them had all the scrolls. Some of them just only had a few scrolls and they would pass them from one synagogue to another, okay? So it was really like, quite a big deal to be able to read this scripture and they would open up the scroll and they would pick someone a guy obviously not a woman um, they would pick a guy and they go all right Steve you read this week and they would come forward and he'd pick the scroll now usually they would go through a liturgy okay so you guys are charismatic so you probably have no idea what a liturgy is um, liturgy is like you know the, the type of verse you read for this week or this service and so we, we have a liturgy we just don't know it, right? So 
at Christmas, what passage do you read? You read Luke 2, right? You don't get through Christmas without reading Luke 2. You've got to read while shepherds watch their sheep by night, and, right? So we still have liturgies in some way, but the, the Jews had a lot more of a liturgy. They would read the Bible in a certain period of time, um, like the Torah was read. We, we, we know it to be split by chapters and verses. It was actually split up by weeks. Those first five books of the Bible were split up by weeks, and they would read through the Torah, um, some traditions in one year, some traditions in other periods. But, so they, they had certain passages. Um, but what would happen is the person would open up and they'd read it and then they'd close it and that's it. That's their job. And now we discuss. Tell you what, that's different, isn't it? Like what would that look like? Because I tell you what, and we're going to do this later on, if I put the mic down and we have a discussion about the Bible, it's going to look very different to if I just tell you about the Bible. Because people are going to think differently. And that's great and that's good because we learn from one another. In Judaism, questions were never a bad thing. In Christianity, questions are the worst thing, right? Like what we're doing today is a terrible, terrible thing because it's opening up more issues than it's solving. And I'm not really comfortable and I'm scared and I'm worried that we're losing all this certainty we have. That was never an issue for a Jew. It wasn't about finding certainty, it was about discussing this great mysterious thing. To be honest with you, they were much more mystical as well. So they were kind of like, look, we can't figure this guy out anyway just by reading a book. It's much bigger than that anyway. Let's discuss this. Let's engage. Let's share our experiences, our testimonies, our encounters. Let's you know, allow life to inform how we read the scripture and then share it with each other and, and be challenged and grow. And I'm sharing that because that's kind of what I want us to do. And so we'll, we'll take a break in a bit, but it's really important that we see this happening throughout scripture. So I'll finish with one analogy, okay? How many of you like doing jigsaws? Jigsaw puzzles? Yeah? Oh, nice. We should all get together and do a jigsaw. Um, I love jigsaws. I'm a weirdo. I know it. I think you're all weird as well, but I love it. Um, like, I would go on a family holiday. Like, we, we used to rent these little village, uh, uh, villas, like in, well, villa, a cottage in Scotland, usually. Um, but we'd rent this little place. And then, basically, because we're in Scotland, it was flipping freezing anyway. So you'd go in the North Sea, because your mum was like, we're at the beach, get in! And she's always fully dressed in, like, three coats on the beach. So I never thought to question that at the time. Now, now I'm looking back, and I'm like, you never went in. I'm going in with three jumpers on. And this is so unfair. But anyway, so, but you come back, you'd huddle around this log fire, right? Um, and you would be like warming up from hypothermia. And we'd do jigsaws. I love doing jigsaws. I, I just absolutely love them. And when you do a jigsaw, there's a certain way to do it, right? So everyone that just says they love a jigsaw, right? You're systematic, okay? And you've sat down with these people that don't love jigsaws, and we're all judging you because you're wrong. <laughs> and, it's, and it's like watching an animal. You know, I mean, it really is. It's just painful. My dad, okay, not joking, will walk up to a jigsaw that me and my mum were doing, and he'd go, hmm, and he'd pick up one piece. He'd just pick up a piece. And he'd literally be like, no, no, no. This is a 10,000-piece puzzle. What is he expecting to happen? Like, I mean, this is ridiculous. Like, I... Ah, right. So this is my this is my dad, and this is me. I'm extremely detail orientated, and like, yeah, this is why I struggle with what I'm sharing with you today about not being so fixated on the details and allowing it to be a discussion. I worry with that, right? Because I really like nice, orientated, black and white, you know, simple rules. But when you do a jigsaw, you know how to do it, right? You go around the edges, 
da, you like then categorize into like, well, colors or what's that that looks like water? Or we'll put all the water pieces over here and I'll tackle that later because God, water is horrible. Um, but oh, right now I'll do this sky because there's some clouds. And, right? I mean, but you, you kind of compartmentalize, you think about what you're doing. Well, what's interesting is imagine I opened up a jigsaw of a thousand pieces, okay? And I said, I passed it around and says, all right, everyone take a piece. Okay, so you just pick a piece at random, like my dad. Animal. Um, and, uh, and then I said, okay, don't show anyone. It's your piece, okay? All right, so you keep your piece, and you go, okay, interesting. And maybe one of you's going, oh, I've got a tree. Interesting, tree. Someone else is going, oh, I've got some water. Maybe a river, I think. Someone else is maybe looking and going, oh, some people. Hmm, interesting. And I said, all right, every one of you draw the jigsaw, right? Now, my dad would, like, God, the guy's an optimist, right? But he would actually would go, all right, I can do that. Like, right? What are most of you thinking? You're thinking, I've got one piece out of 10,000. What are you asking me to do? Right? So if you've got that tree, what are you going to draw? Maybe a forest? You could draw pretty much anything as long as you put a tree in there. Right? It doesn't really matter, right? You could draw a desert and then stick a tree in there. And it's like, well, it could be. Um, but you're going to go with what your best hunch is, right? So you've got that tree and you're like, well, it's probably like a forest or a wood or maybe like a town with like a nice bit of forest at the edge or something. If you've got water, you're going to go with, oh, I'll draw the seaside or I'll draw a river. You know, I might even, might even have a tree in my picture. Oh, interesting, right? But you're going to draw what you, your best guess is based on that piece. Now, if I then was like, all right, everyone show your picture, it's all going to be the same picture, right? Probably not, right? Is any going to even be similar? Probably not. Right? Now, if I said, all right, every one of you, show your piece to each other. Now, draw the jigsaw. What have we got in here, like 15, 20 people? How close is it gonna be to the actual picture? I mean, closer in the sense that, like, me jumping gets me closer to the sun, but probably not very close to the sun, right? You're probably not gonna be, with 20 random jigsaw pieces, gonna draw a very good picture of whatever this picture is. Are any of your pictures going to be the same? Probably not, right? They might have some of the same themes now. Oh, there's trees and water. It's probably not a sea, maybe it's a river, right? You, so you're starting to piece together some bits and, and, and think about what you're doing. There's kids there or people. Maybe there's kids playing by the river. Maybe it's a man and a woman walking down there by the river. I don't know. But you're starting to piece together these elements, aren't you? But you don't have a picture of the picture at all. If I threw another 100 pieces in, you probably wouldn't have a good picture. In fact, if I showed you 1,000 pieces, one at a time, or 10,000 pieces, every single piece, one at a time, you still probably wouldn't draw the picture very well, right? You'd maybe have a much better idea of what the picture is, but probably not. What do you need to know what the puzzle is? The box. Just show me the top, right? Um, now, I'm, I'm systematic, and I like doing my jigsaws properly. I'm still going to use the top. I'm going to sit it up in front of me, and I'm going to put the piece together, right? Because Otherwise, it's like doing one of those baked beans ones. You know what I mean? I don't, that, that's no enjoyment in that. That's not a, you're not constructing anything. You're just, man, I don't even know what you are. You're worse than the animals. Um, um, but, you know, like, if you just look at the box, you go, huh, okay, now I know where everything is. And you go, oh, that piece I had, huh, I know what that is. That's, that's not even water. It's some sky. It's just got a funny bit of cloud on it. Right? And you're suddenly like, oh, how many of you been putting together a jigsaw and been doing that for a while, right? You're like, where does this fit? And then you're like, oh, it's up here, right? <laughs> yeah. It's a really sad state of affair that we're talking about jigsaw stories here. Um, that should be really concerning for everyone. Um, 
I, I, I'd like to propose that the Bible's not too unlike someone piecing together a jigsaw. I'd like to propose that God shows up throughout the Bible and encounters his people. He engages with his people. He loves his people. He shows himself to his people. And his people try and write it down. They try and describe the experiences they have. They try and describe the goodness of this person. They try and pen to paper, right? But the truth is, if I asked you, write down a story about how, who God is, would you think it was good? You, probably, you could spend years and you go, ah, it's nothing compared to God. If I asked you to paint a sunset, the best painting of a sunset in the world still isn't the sunset. I mean, that has to be experienced, it has to be seen, it has to be, ah. And you don't get that looking at the painting. You look at it and go, wow, it's really good, it's just like the sunset, but it's not. Because you don't stand there in awe of the painting, wowed, and go, I'm coming back tomorrow for more. And I think we often consider the Bible to be the box, but it's not. The Bible is the pieces of the jigsaw. And as time goes on, we're getting more and more and more pieces. And people are starting to put them together. And so, yeah, at the beginning, we're killing kids. And very quickly, God's like, whoa, 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 no, kill this. But as time goes on, more and more people are piecing together parts. And David's going after God's heart and going, wow, yeah, like, no, God's not like that. I don't think God wants these sacrifices. He's starting to shift things around and go, well, maybe that was, maybe he was working with us because we needed sacrifice, right? Which is kind of what the law says. If you need to sacrifice to get set free from your guilt, kill this animal. Huh. Yeah, I don't think it is about God. I think that's a lot more about us. And as time goes on, we're getting more and more jigsaw pieces. But the thing is, you read the whole Old Testament, and you're not going to get God. I don't care how sacred it is, how holy that text is, how much it is the, the word of God, if that's how you would say it. You're not going to know God because you do not have the box. And the scripture is really, really clear on this, right? The Bible says. There's texts in the Bible that say <laughs> Jesus is, the in, is a visible representation of the invisible God. You see, we are sitting there without the box, just this invisible picture of what God could be like, and we're trying to piece it together. And Jesus comes along and goes, God looks like me. And suddenly we're going, ooh, okay, we might have to move some pieces around. Right? We had to move a lot of pieces around. And that's what we're going to talk about next session. And then we'll go into Q&A for the rest of the day. Um, we're going to talk about how Jesus reads his Bible. How Jesus represents God. Many of us go, oh, that tree down here goes up here. And it's upside down. Oops. Right? How you get a tree upside down? I don't know. But us jigsaw warriors have been there. Um, huh. This pillar isn't even from the jigsaw. <laughs> right? Maybe some of us have got some pieces and we're like, well, that, that isn't even God. Whoops. There's a whole new way of piecing together. And what we find is every part of the scripture is beautiful. It's amazing. It speaks of God journeying with his people. It speaks of God revealing more and more of who he is. But it isn't the perfect image of the invisible God. And so when we get to the point where the perfect image of the invisible God goes, God's like this. He says, love your enemies. And we open up an Old Testament passage that says, hate your enemies and kill them. We go, right, this jigsaw, we need to readjust. We need to go, what's going on here? What's the culture? What are they asking? Who are they talking about? What's going on? 
And how have they come to the conclusion that God said that? Because there's a good chance he didn't. And there really is a good chance he didn't. Job's friends come to Job over and over. God's like this. God's like that. God says this. God says that. What happens? They get reamed because God is not like that. You can open up Job and read it really clearly and make some good assumptions about God. He gives and takes away, right? No. He says later, that's not who I am. So there's constantly bits within the scripture, and Job is an easy example because it's all within one book. So thankfully, if you just read the book, those errors get cleared up really quickly. But unfortunately, it happens a lot that it happens over a large period of time, right? So like sacrifice being an example, that happens over a long period of time, and a lot of people get killed in the process. But there's a piecing together of what's going on. And so we have to use Jesus as our benchmark. Jesus has to be your benchmark of how you piece together this imperfect. Because here's the thing. When Jesus says, he's the, when it says that Jesus is the only perfect representation of the invisible God, what is it saying? It's saying every other representation of God is imperfect. Now, I know that messes with your head on like, well, the Bible's perfect and without flaw. And we can talk about that in Q&A if you really need to. Um, there's an element of being perfectly imperfect. Does that make sense? Anyone that's been in love knows about perfectly imperfect, right? It's that person that does that thing that you kind of like absolutely hate, but you also kind of really absolutely love. Yeah. There's this element of things that that isn't true, but there's a reason God put it in there so we could learn from it. So it's not true that God gives and takes away, or it's not true that um, God wants us to do human sacrifice. But there's a reason it's in the Bible, and that is perfectly given to us to teach us, to lead us in righteousness, to guide us, to instruct us. So I'm not saying you throw it out. I'm saying you learn to appreciate this text that is perfectly given to us as at times imperfectly representing God. Because there's plenty of it that imperfectly represents God. You don't have to go far. I've got hours of scriptures I could read to you. Okay? And you can argue with me and that's totally fine. And I have people arguing with me on that all the time. That's totally fine. I really don't mind. Um, the problem with me is I'm a lot more chilled. So if you get upset, I'm okay with you being upset. You're just not okay with me being chilled and it leaves us in a really awkward place. Um, but I am happy to talk about those texts. I am happy to discuss the Bible as the word of God and what is the Bible. And we, we will probably end up going there, I'm sure. Um, but I want to I wanna just leave you with that. Like that the concept of... This is, um, so it's called in academic circles, a meta-narrative. So there's lots of narratives, but there's a meta-narrative. There's an overall story here. And we know that, right? We, we talk about that. Every page speaks of Jesus. Kind of, right? Every story speaks of Jesus. Well, kind of, but actually not always, right? I don't know if I'm going to make you eat your babies speaks of Jesus, right? I don't know if it does. You can believe that, but I'd really love you to do an exposition test, uh, you know, sermon on how that text speaks of Jesus. Um, so yeah, on the whole, it's all leading to, here's the box, guys. Here's how you piece it all together. Here's who I truly am. Here's where you got it just right. Here's where you got my understanding of mercy, of love, of grace, of forgiveness. But here, where you thought that I'm a psycho and I want to kill my enemies? No, guys, I love my enemies. That's how I deal with enemies. I love them. Here where you thought I'm going to wrathfully pour out my anger and wrath and people will get what they deserve. No, people don't get what they deserve. People get what I want to give them, which is love and kindness. Here where you think God is just and he'll get justice. Yeah, they get justice and I'm a just God, but my justice looks like restoring people rather than punishing them. 
And, and so we constantly have these elements where God is bringing us forward, leading us into a new place. Let's stop there and, um, yeah, just maybe have that in the back of your head, have lots of discussions over lunch, write down your questions if you've got them, because we'll do one more session and then we're going to just talk. And it's going to be brilliant. It's going to be great. It's going to be wonderful. Um, and I want questions. And I want your hardest questions. I want your worst questions. You might not be happy with my answers. I might not even have answers. Um, and I'm okay with that. Um, you're going to be upset. But it's okay. Like, I know, that's why you want me to give you answers, right? Um, but I really want us to discuss. I want, there's no question that's bad. There's no question that's too far. There's no question that is going to be like, oh, but what does that mean? Like, it's okay. You're grown adults. You're, you have Holy Spirit leading you into all truth. I can't screw you up more than he can fix you. So it's going to be okay. And your questions are only good. There's, there's, a, there's an absolute truth that if Holy Spirit leads us into truth, question can never be bad. You could question anything. You can question, did Jesus even exist? That's a good question to ask because he did. He's the truth. Your questioning will get, get you to the point where at some point you'll see he exists. And actually, you're now going to believe it more because you've answered so many questions along the way. There's no, no question you can ask. None that isn't going to lead you into finding out that what you believe isn't true. Hallelujah, right? I've left a lot of things I believe were true that aren't. And it's only because I ask questions. So when you let go of truth, uh, let go of uh, lies, that's really good. And if it doesn't do that, it's only going to solidify the truth that you believe. So ask, ask, ask. Okay, that concludes this week's look at Is God Really Good? And I hope that that started to open up this whole conversation for you, that it started to open up some ideas, some some uh, thoughts. As you look at scripture, it will be opened up to a whole new degree to you. Um, and it is not the end of the story either. Of course, Jesus comes along and he himself has commentary on how to read the scripture. And it radically transformed uh the world, you know, not just uh, Judaism, but it transformed the world, you know, and his followers also follow the same hermeneutic, the same reading uh, interpretation, the, the lens through which they saw the scripture. And so we're going to look at that next week. And uh, I'm really looking forward to doing that with you. If you can't wait, as always, all these messages, they're on the gracecourse.com. You can watch the videos that they come from over there for free. Um, but if you are willing to wait, I will see you then for part three of our series in Is God Really Good? Until then, be blessed.